0: Hope Church. Morning. Glad each and every one of you are here, here today, um, especially those, if it's your first or second time, we're really glad uh, that you're here. Um, just as a heads up, we normally just teach straight through books of the Bible. Um, we start in the book like we just did the book of Matthew, and uh, you do know, start verse, chapter 1, verse 1, and Work all the way straight through, and you know one of the reasons we do that is so that we have to tackle all the difficult things that are in the scriptures. We don't get any passes; um, we just have to go right, right on through it and and deal with the hard things, um, and sometimes things that we don't exactly want uh, to deal with. Uh, so we've pretty much done the New Testament. We've done some Old Testament books here in the last few years, and. Um, We're taking a little break from that to go through a series on forgotten heroes. And this gives us a way to look at some key characters in the Old Testament, particularly characters that we might not be as um, familiar with. Or you may be familiar with just the, you know, children's Bible version of the story. Um, But there's usually much more than is in the children's Bible. Uh, And some of those things are difficult um, to deal with. And so, over the last few weeks, we've looked at um, a Hebrew uh, slave girl, and we saw her um, compassion. Um, We saw her faith. We saw that she didn't allow um, her circumstances to define her character, and that she was strong in the midst of adversity. Um, We looked at Jonathan, who was born in a a place of, of privilege, but didn't hold on to that above the will of God but was willing to surrender his place in order um, for God to be glorified and for the will of God to be done. It was just a, he's just an amazing, amazing uh, character. And then last week we looked at Rahab. Um, Rahab, who was a Canaanite a woman who came to acknowledge that the, the God of, of the Hebrews, that Yahweh is the true and living God. Um, and she found salvation um, for her and for her family um, in him. And she had, you know, hid the spies, and she she did this act of of bravery that she was rewarded for. And then she becomes part of that promise that God made to Abraham, that in his seed all the families of the earth would be blessed, as she is the great grandmother of King David. Um, and so, you know, you just see these powerful. Stories and, and some unexpected heroes, and, and today we're going to look at four guys who I don't think really planned on being heroes. They, they didn't look. Really, they really, you know, they weren't like, you know what, I want to be a hero. Like, they, you know, they didn't have like that mission of, you know, I'm I'm going to join some sort of like noble group of people. You know, we're going to go around, and we're going to do heroic things. That's that's really not these guys, but it shows that anyone has the potential to do heroic. You know, things, if they'll make the right decisions in the circumstances. So, we're going to look at at some of that this morning. We'll be in 2 Kings, um, chapter 6 and 7 um, this morning. If you have your Bible or your app or whatever and you'd like to follow along, um, this morning I'll be using um, New Living Translation for the majority um, of our scripture. Today, we we use lots of translations here New King James, ESV. in uh, ASB, others, so we're not like locked in on any one particular one. They all have their pros and cons. Um, so Second Kings chapters 6 and 7 this morning. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord again in prayer, and then we'll hop in in Second Kings chapter 6. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here to worship you uh, together. Lord, thank you for those who are here, and we also pray for those who are, are traveling on this holiday weekend, and we ask that you would keep them. Uh, safe and watch over them and may they learn from you uh, this morning as we're learning from you Um, and we ask in that Lord that you would teach us that we would learn by your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit and Lord that our our hearts and minds would be affected by what we read and, and look at today and that ultimately Lord we would as we just sang that we would surrender all dear Jesus that we would surrender all at your feet thank you that you loved us enough to go to the cross for us. We just praise you that you're a risen Savior, a risen King, and uh, we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So in 2 Kings um, chapter 6, um, we're going to see uh, in verse 24, there's this kind of going back and forth conflict that leads up to this point between um, the, the Israelites and um, King Ben-Hadad of Aram or of Syria, as your scripture may read. But um, we're going to look at this. They kind of have this back-and-forth deal. And, and, and here we kind of come to the, um, kind of the, the climax of this, this conflict. Uh, and, it's, and some funny things happen along the way. Uh, so you know, Elisha is the, the prophet at this time. And there's one point where these raiders are coming in you know, to the land and um, it's just I got to share, share this part because it's so cool uh, but, but Elisha is there uh, with one of his, his servants and uh, they see like all of the all of this you know enemy and, and the, the servants kind of you know concerned about the, the odds the statistical odds you know in the situation so it doesn't look too great for us and so uh, you know, Elisha prays and asks that God would open up this man's eyes to see what he can see. And when his eyes are opened, he sees this huge other army. It's the Lord's army, and it's just one of those reminders that you know. Throughout Scripture, we see that you know anyone with the true and living God has a majority. You know, it can be a million to one, but if you've got the living God on your side. You know, you have, You're in the position. You're not in the position of weakness that you perceive, but you're in the position of power because you are the one. You're the one with the all powerful one. Uh, and so, you know, his eyes are open. And then, um, basically, God causes them, the enemy, to be blinded, and and Elisha leads them. Hey, I'll show you where you're trying to go into Samaria, and and leads them into the city, and then as their eyes opened. You know, and the king of Israel, at this point is like, you know, Elisha, should we, you know, should we kill them? And Elisha says, No, do we kill prisoners of war? It's a great ethical lesson there. He's like, Do we kill prisoners of war? You know, of course not, feed them and send them back to their king. Yeah, and they make a feast for these men and feed them and then send them back. Now, can you imagine those guys? Like, what happened to us today? We had the intent to go out and kill a bunch of people. We got blinded. Our eyes were open, and then we got fed, and then we got sent back home. You know, like, that's a, that's a day. Like, you're going to have a day. That's a, that's, a, that's a day right there. You're not going to forget that one. But, you know, King, King Benadad, you know, keeps coming back. And really, one of the things we looked at last week was, you know, when we looked at Rahab and the Canaanites, and we said, you know, why did God drive them out of the land? And we saw that, you know, the scripture tells us it wasn't because that the Israelites or the Hebrews were were righteous because of the exceeding wickedness of the Canaanites. Sexual sin of every kind, including bestiality. Um, and then they, you know, they sacrificed their own children um, you know, to the, the underworld god, Moloch, which is this bull-headed, you know, upright god with arms extended with a fire in its belly you know, in the idol. They were put on there, and the arms are out. And they would lay infants and small children to be burned alive. You know, it's because of their wickedness that God said, you know, drive them out. But they didn't fully do that. And the warning was, if you don't, you know, you're going to end up taking on their ways. And so, you know, throughout this history of of Israel in the Old Testament, we see, you know, it's kind of this cycle of, you know, falling into sin, this grievous sin. Being judged by God, repenting, being you know rescued, and then repeating the cycle again. You know, I hope it's over and over again as you read the Old Testament. It's a sad cycle, Um, and so God had promised. You know, I'm going to judge you by these other nations if you if you follow in these same you know you know ways. And so let's keep this in mind as we read this of why. This is happening in Samaria. In verse 24 of 2 Kings chapter 6, it says, Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Now, just to put that in a little bit of context for us, um, Eighty pounds of silver, about two pounds of silver, and today 's value that 's getting close to you know five hundred dollars, but even that is relative like you know five hundred dollars in our economy right now compared to five hundred dollars in Venezuela, where inflation has skyrocketed you know those aren 't the same you know thing. It kind of depends on context, so it 's kind of really hard for us to get a real like numerical value. On you know how this would translate, but it's a it's a lot, and you know a donkey's head is not exactly like you know that's a prime cut of meat right there. You know like we're all gonna fight over that at the you know <laughs> dinner table. Um, and to pay, imagine going to the store and you're like, you know what I'm gonna do today? I'm gonna spend $500 on a donkey's head. We're gonna go cook that thing up. And, uh, no, you know like that's <clears throat> one of those one of those deals where even if you were gonna do it, that, that price is steep. That price is steep. And then it says, you know, doves dung and, you know, for a long time I hadn't really looked into that and I'm you know, I was like, man, that's harsh. You know, you're eating you doves dung. You know, what I mean like what's that gonna do before you you're eating bird poop? I don't know. But as I look into this a little more, it it could refer to this plant that's actually called the Star of Bethlehem, but in a in the distance what is it it was a kind of a weed and it grew up in the fields. And if you looked out, when the little white flowers are blooming in the field, it would look a little bit like bird droppings everywhere. Okay? And so that's how it, you know, got this name, is at least a a theory with that, which makes a little bit more sense, that you would eat this, this plant versus bird poop. You know, I mean, let's think about it here a little bit. I mean, I hadn't thought about it that much in the past, and I probably preached that, hey, they're they're buying and selling burr poop. That's how bad it is. Uh, But it's bad. You know, this, because this, um, I actually read about a guy trying to eat this stuff, and he said, you know, after eating a couple of bites, like, he felt, it's super bitter, and it, you know, felt, like, sick to his stomach. Like, this isn't a, a type of, this isn't a plant that you would eat for food unless you were starving to death. Unless you were super super desperate. And so you're going to pay about $30 for one cup of this bitter plant that's going to make you sick when you eat it. That's harsh. Those are harsh conditions. But that's not nearly the worst of it. As we continue in verse 26, it says, one day as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him and said, please help me, my lord the king. And he answered, if the lord doesn't "'Help you, what can I do? "'I have neither food from the threshing floor "'nor wine from the press to give you.' "'But then the king added, "'What is the matter?' "'And she replied, "'This woman said to me, "'Come on, let's eat your son today. "'Then we will eat my son tomorrow. "'So we cooked my son and ate him. "'And then the next day I said to her, "'Kill your son so we can eat him. "'But she has hidden her son.' "'And when the king heard it, "'he tore his clothes in despair.' And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap under his robe next to his skin. And he said, May God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day. Now, let's look at a couple of things here. We see this reaction to this crisis in this desperation, this deal that these two mothers make with each other and as you read that, I mean it is a it is a harsh and I mean it's perverse, it's disgusting. I mean it's it's everything that is like wrong, you know wrapped up into like one scene here you know I mean it is it is horrific um, you know and, and, and having children I just look at this and go like how in the world? You know, could you? And it reminded back to the Canaanites, you know, sacrificing their children to Moloch. But you know, these women are sacrificing their children to the gods of themselves and their own self-preservation. And, and you know, it, and it's just so twisted because you know, it, you know, we talk about this in, in in marriage. My wife and I talk about this, you know, a lot. Like our relationship is is primary, but it's so that we can love them and serve them. How we're supposed to do. We don't elevate them above our ourselves in terms of importance in our our family unit. But if it came down to who's going to die for who, like there's no question. Parents die for their children. You know, if they're if these women are going to do anything honorable here, they would say, "I'll sacrifice myself. Feed me to my children." <laughs> you know, I mean that's obviously a, I mean that's a whole other level of horrificness there, right? But it certainly shouldn't be like what we read here. You know, these women in this in this crisis, and really, as we stars as the story goes on, you know, this this darkness before the dawn. Um, but we need to rem- to remember in our lives when it comes to our, our honor and our, our character, our ethics and morality, that there are things worse than death. There are things worse than death. What these women did is worse than just dying. There are things worse than death, a lot, and, and and you know, in that self-preservation and the god of self, it's easy to lose sight that there are things worse than death. Better to, to die with with honor. Better to die living in obedience to the will of God and not and not doing such a horrific thing than to survive. These events. Because we need a a dose of reality here. These women needed a dose of reality. At some point, they're going to die anyway. You know, they didn't want the tragicness of the shortened life. But they were, I mean, you can only extend it so far anyway. Better to die with honor than to live in dishonor. You know, death is a great enemy, but it's not our chief enemy. You know, doing the will of the enemy, doing the will of Satan, is the chief enemy in life. Not death. Death is a huge and great enemy, but it's, it's not the, the number one. Now, and then you see the king, you know, he has a right reaction to tear his clothes in despair like that's proper that's a proper you know response to the story that he's just heard but then he wants to go and blame elisha for their situation when he should have been blaming his own sin himself his own sin the sins of his forefathers you know the sins of the people that they're under this judgment, and and you know we don't look at every negative or every bad thing happening in the world specifically as, as God's judgment, but in in this relationship, God with Israel, and this, in the explicit you know scripture, you know this is this time here is clearly judgment for sin, but He wants to blame like one of the few righteous people in the nation. I mean, how twisted is that? When he should have gotten on his knees and said, God, forgive me and forgive my people, for we have sinned greatly against you. He didn't have the proper response. And now in verse 32 it says, Elisha was sitting in his house when the elders of Israel, with the elders of Israel, when the king sent a messenger to summon him. But before the messenger arrived, Elijah said to the elders, A murderer. That's the king. A murderer has sent a man to cut off my head. And when he arrives, shut the door and keep him out. We will soon hear his master's steps following him. While Elisha was still saying this, the messenger arrived. And the king said, All this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And Elisha replied, this is chapter 7, verse 1. Elisha replied, Listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria... Six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and twelve quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. Now, that's a, that's a powerful promise. Things are going to be like normal and better than normal. <laughs> and things are going to be cheap tomorrow. And there's going to be an abundance. But verse 2, The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, You will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Can you imagine this? You won't be able to eat any of it is the promise that God gives to this man through Elisha. And then in verse 3, we're now going to meet, we've set the scene, so now we're going to meet our unexpected heroes. It says, there were four men who were keepers um, at the entrance of the gate, and they said to other, uh, sorry, lepers, they were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made... The army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come out against us. And so they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried all things from it and went in and hid them. Now, I love this scene because I can just, you know, you just sit there and imagine these four lepers just sitting at the gate, just having this conversation. Like, you know, things are not good for us right now. Like, this is a pretty desperate situation. It's like, not only do we have leprosy, which in itself is like a death sentence, like, not only do we have leprosy, but. We're going to starve to death. And, and we don't have much time. So it's like, what are our options? You know, they're going through like, their options. And this is what reasonable to people would do in a situation like this. They're going through their options. It's like, all right, well, if we go in the, go in the city, because, I mean, people are like not even going to stop us from going into the city now. Things are so bad. We can come and go as we please. We can go in the city. We can go back, you know, maybe say goodbye to family members, whatever. But, you know, we're going to starve to death in there. And that's going to be it. But we have this other option where we can throw ourselves at the mercy of our enemy and ask for help. We can surrender ourselves, you know, and it's like, they can kill us, and they know that that's probably, you know, dealing with the Syrians in this scenario at this particular point in time in history. That's their likely outcome, you know. But at least, I mean, if if I'm them, I kind of feel the same way about it. Like, I would rather you know, take one or two blows and be done than to, like, starve to death. I mean, that's just not a good, starving to death not a good way to go. Yeah. And so they have got some agreement there from the audience, you know, for people like, hey, yeah, that, that makes sense. But then there's also, with that, there's a slim chance that the enemy could be merciful to them and that they could survive. They would have food. So, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they, you know, we remember a story from a, a few weeks ago with um, Naaman, the Syrian, and his, uh, who had been a leper, who the, the slave, Hebrew, Hebrew slave girl had told him about Elisha, and, you know, he was, um, he was rescued. You know, maybe they had that story in their head. Maybe because of that, they'll be, you know, we, we have this commonality. Maybe there's just that slim hope and chance that they'll be merciful to us because their captain of their army had once had what we have. Maybe, maybe there's a slim chance. But when they get there, what do they find? They find an empty camp. They find horses and donkeys that are still tied you know, to, the, to their places. They, they find an abundance of food and silver and gold i mean these guys have like from the most unexpected circumstances have won the lottery yeah. i mean they have like they have more than i mean they, they won the mega millions here okay i mean they they, they and and they're looking they they're like they're, they're cashing in i mean they're eating you know you, you imagine like, they just devoured what they can devour there like, oh i'm so full but they're silver and gold So I'm going to get some of that. They're digging holes. They're hiding stuff. They're like, we're going to come back for this. You know, I mean, they're going to cash in, right? I mean, that's a normal. I mean, I look at that and I'm like, I mean, I can't fault these guys. I mean, from the circumstances, just to that unexpected joy. And then, verse 9, it dawns on them. They said to one another, We are not right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. See, so they recognized, you know, they remembered, wait a second, everybody back in Samaria, everybody back in the city that's starving, that the conditions are so awful and so terrible. You know, we're not right to keep this good news and to keep try to keep all of this for ourselves. For one thing, you know, it was so much they couldn't have carried it all off if they had wanted to. You know, there's such an abundance and and it overwhelms them with you know we're not right. We're not right just to, to to keep this you know for ourselves. And they understood that there could be some punishment for them if they waited to tell because you know with their great privilege, with their great blessing, came a great responsibility. A responsibility to help those back um, in the city. Help those who desperately needed it. And it says, So they came and called the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out and it was told within the king's household and the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done. They know we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, you know, pessimistic king, but understandable. One of the servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. And so they took two horsemen and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan. And behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Therians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of... Fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gate, so that he died, as the man of God had said, when the king came down to him. For when the man of God said to the king, Two seas of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a sea of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so what happened to him? For the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. Now, just real quickly here, before you feel too bad for him, remember, it seems like he's the guy with the sword ready to go and murder Elisha. You know, he, that's, that's his heart. You know he's willing to do to do evil, and you know, it's a combination of that of his of his wickedness and his lack of faith. And you know, really, what he says about God is blasphemous. You know, because he says, you know, even if God opened up heavens, this couldn't happen. Like he he limited what the power of God and what God's able to do. So, you know, his offenses, you know, were mighty. Yeah, you know, he was blasphemous. He was willing to commit murder. He would have done it if he hadn't been stopped. And you know, we see his, his you know, he had um, set himself up you know for this. And and there's just a contrast there in all these scriptures. You know, there's a there's a contrast um, you know between the the hearts of of people. You know, you see that in every story that we've looked at in the different different hearts of people and you find hearts that um, are humble and and people willing to to surrender themselves and and hearts that are prideful. Um, you know, that's kind of the the root of it. You know, because those lepers, if you think about them for a minute, you know, when they had that moment of of clarity, you know, they humbled themselves. They had to acknowledge we are not right. We're not right, we're not doing right. You know, we're, we, we are in the wrong here. And, and really, you know, throughout the scriptures, you, you see um, that, that common theme of humility among people who ultimately know God. You see it throughout the scriptures. And because and the scripture is clear, it says that, that God gives grace to the humble, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You want God's grace and God's mercy in your in your life? Be humble. You, you want to be on the wrong side of God? Be prideful. It's really that simple. But when we think about these lepers, you know, and, and this may sound strange to say, but you know, hear me out on this. I think, you know, in the spiritual way, we, we parallel their physical condition. Outcasts, you know, with a contagious disease. Contagious disease called sin that is lethal. That's, I mean, without Christ, that's what we are. We are out, outside of the city. You know, spiritual speaking, we're outside of the city of God. You know, we're, you know, we're outside of the city. We have a contagious disease. We have very little hope. And, we, and without Christ, again, we have a, a perceived adversary, God. Now, the difference is, you know, these Syrians, not known for being merciful. But our God, known for being loving, known for being gracious, known for being merciful, but it does require that people surrender to him and acknowledge their place and their condition that we might find mercy and say, Lord, I am wrong. Please forgive me. I mean, that's the basics That's the very, I mean, that's the basis of salvation. Is, you know, Lord, I'm wrong. Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. You know, in that faith that there's one Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the dead, that paid that price, who made that grace and that mercy possible by what he did for us. But the thing about it that's so amazing, that like these lepers, and they enter into this abundance, in this case, this abundance of material wealth, when we come to to God, we don't just receive mercy and for, you know, forgiveness, but we're we're blessed. We're made part of His family. We're given the good news of of Jesus to share. Where they had they had now had good news to share. These lepers, and we're given an abundance of spiritual blessings and spiritual gifts, and and things to share with those who are in need in our world. See, with that privilege that God gives us, there comes responsibility. There comes responsibility. And that privilege that God gives us. And so if we think about ourselves, for followers of Jesus, what what do we have? You know, we have this good news of Jesus that he offers salvation, that he offers life, new life, abundant life, joyful life, Purposeful life in Him, and we can receive that. Like we can receive, we've, we've received it, and now we can share that and say, "Here's a gift that God offers to you." And I'm just asking you to receive it the same, same way that I received it. You know, but with that, you know, people, to to receive the gift, you know, people have to surrender their own work and their own efforts and their own pride. But also, you know in our position we've we've also i mean if you live in the united states of of America in this day and age, and you you know you have work, i mean most of us you know we we have some resources we have some resources, and whether you have a little resources or a lot of resources, there's still a responsibility yeah, you know, I think really what I'm getting at here is just that. As followers of Jesus, we should be very generous people. You know, we should be generous with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus. We should be generous with our time. We should be generous with our resources because we've been blessed with an abundance. And so we need to be generous with with all that we have. And, and again, whether that's relative compared to somebody else, what they have or not, and. You know, again, I keep going I share a story a few weeks ago um, about a person who we would consider you know, to, to be poor with this tremendous act of, of generosity and care for those who he saw in a worse condition than himself than himself. And, and how that's just a, such an encouragement that we would be known as being generous people, generous people. Yeah, and and it's a two sided thing because when you look at kind of the statistics of it, you see that those who in the United States who who claim to you know be like followers of Jesus and who actually like are part of not just in name but you know who you know living that out and part of church communities and everything. I mean, they're, they're the most generous. We're the most generous people in the world. And then you look at it percentage wise and go, man, that's pathetic. You know, I mean, like, it's, it's pathetic. And, and so those two things are true at the same time, and what it teaches us is that humans are naturally greedy. And humans, like, don't give very much out of their own pockets, like, of their own volition. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons governments, you know, have taxes. Because people don't voluntarily say, well, we all need X, Y, and Z. You know, let me write, let me, let me write a check for my portion of the resources I use. You know, let me, let me write my share. We don't do that voluntarily. But, you know, when it comes to our, our spiritual life and our life with Jesus, you know, that's, that's voluntary. Unless you're part of a cult. Don't be part of a cult. If they, like, look at, you know, that's one of the ways you know. My, my, I have relatives that was in one of these cults where they literally would, like, okay, here's here's your checkbook and here's, like, here's your, you know, we we see your pay stubs and everything, and, and here's the amount for the check that you need to write. Like, that's a sign control stuff there. Like, if, if that ever, if you ever go to a place they start doing, just walk right on out. The first time somebody said, just go right out out another another way. That's cult-like activity. All right, but it's it's voluntary. Same, with, you know, and more importantly sharing the good news of Jesus, you know, nobody is like, you you know, they're they're not in in terms of the church goes, or one human to another, like consequences for, for failing to share our faith. But God cares about our generosity with his message. God cares about that. Are we loving people? Are we pointing them to Jesus? And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody is, you know, in a, you know a, an evangelist out there that gathers crowds and, you know, all of that. But I'm just talking about, like, everyday life and, and sharing the, the blessing that we have in, in Jesus. i talking about everyday life. And so let's be those people. Who are super generous with all that God has blessed us with. Again, with that privilege comes responsibility for what we do with what God gives us. Imagine if those guys had said, you know what? They've got horses here. We can load up a couple saddlebags. You know, we can take as much gold and silver and we can head on out start over, new place, new people. Man, they they would have missed such a a, a bigger blessing. Cuz imagine the the joy of seeing everybody that was had been starving eating full meals and things returning, you know, to normal in their city, like the the joy of that. It's far greater than like their their potential, you know, personal gain. And so there's that call, you know. And, and I think that those lepers are also representative because you know when people come to Jesus, a lot of times they de- they don't know all that they're going to get. Yeah, and, you know, none of us did. You know, none of us did. None of us knew the you know the whole story of, of God's generosity and and how much more we we received than just you know forgiveness. Like we went, you know, to his. To the feet of Jesus is begging for mercy and for, to be saved. And we didn't necessarily understand that we were going to be given all of these blessings of, you know, the family of, of God and of the gospel and of spiritual gifts and of all these things. We didn't fully comprehend that. And that's like these lepers, you know, they're in a, they came into a, a situation where they didn't, you know, they were, they were just hoping to survive. They were just hoping to, have, to extend their days on, on the desert. They weren't expecting some tremendous, all these additional blessings of, you know, finding the empty camp and having all of this to share with others. But if you come to Jesus, well, that's where you found yourself. You found yourself with just this massive amount of treasure. And then the question is, what are you going to do with it? You know, and, and I want to say something to us as a smaller, as a smaller church. And, you know, smaller churches are, are, are funny in some ways because, you know, especially like holidays. I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I really, I, the Monday holidays, you know, I, I'm just like, man, could those not be, be like all Wednesday or something, you know, because they generally, you know, people travel when there's money, you got an extra day and, you know, so, you, you, you know, and there's these fluctuations, you know, small church, one, you know, one day it's like, man, where is everybody? And next Sunday you're like, oh, all right, you know, whatever. You know, it's, it's like that sort of deal. Um, larger churches tend to have more, like, consistency. Okay? You, you know kind of what to expect. Um, but I, I think sometimes in a smaller church, like ours, you can have a, a mentality of, well, our resources are small. Excuse me. You know, we go, and, and, and I've done, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I've had that thought sometimes, you know, man, our, our, if we, you know, our resources are, are smaller, you know, whatever, and, and you can put these limiters. Don't be, you know, we, we can't afford to be like the man who said, oh, that can't happen. You know, and I just, I mean, I have to say this. And it's not about bragging on our church, it's about bragging on God. Because of all the stuff of the years in in Mexico and the school in Tanzania that's ramping up and we've been able to have a part in that and a a, a church our size, you know, in the world's views or even in like the church world, you know, it shouldn't be able to do and shouldn't do like we do. Like it, it doesn't add up. Okay, from a human perspective. But our God is great, and our God is a provider, and our God has blessed us exceedingly. And so if we're ever tempted to have an impoverished mentality, ever tempted to have an impoverished mentality, go back and read the beginning of chapter 6, with Elisha and, and and that servant they're looking out and saying, oh, the enemy is so great. You know, the task is so, you know, we're, we're so small. And ask God to open our eyes. Because we have God with us. We have the king of, of heaven's armies on our side. Jesus who said, you know, he will always be with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. We have everything we need to do God's will for us. Now, we don't have, you know, everything we need just to do our will or our plans or what we want. But everything that God wants us to do, He gives us everything we need to do what He wants us to do. God does not shortchange us on what we need to do His will. And so, whenever I'm tempted to have a defeatist you know, mentality or to have a small-minded mentality or to say, oh, we can't because X. Man, those thoughts need to be captured and thrown away because with God, we have all that we need. That's church-wise, but also for your individual situation. Don't say, I can't because X, Y, and Z. If it's the will of God for your life, know that you can because he's going to give you everything you need to do his will. Don't say, well, I think God wants me to do this and I would do it, but I only have X. Throw that out. Throw that out. That's a losing mentality. That's a a mentality that comes from Satan. Because Satan doesn't want us to take risks. Satan doesn't want us to take chances. Satan wants us to stay content outside of the will of God So just remember in Jesus what doesn't look possible is possible Don't have to have the mentality certainly don't have to have the mentality of those of the two women that we saw on the scene don't have the mentality of the king don't have to have the mentality of the gatekeeper or the king's servant we do need to have the mentality of Elisha we do need to have the mentality of these four lepers post blessing (laughs) and how they see it all share that blessing with somebody this week. I mean, just, just want to encourage everybody You think about ways you've been blessed and say, this week, God, give me an opportunity to share what you've blessed me with with at least one person. And, and that just comes from an attitude. You know, It's a change of mindset. It's a change of mindset that says, I have been blessed as opposed to, woe is me because my life isn't exactly how I want it to be. Have you been blessed by Jesus or haven't you? If you know the Lord, you've been blessed by Him. If you don't know the Lord yet, He's ready to bless you. you just have to surrender. Surrender all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your mercy um, to us. Thank You that for those of us who have come to believe in You, Jesus, that we'll be surrendered at the foot of the cross if we said, Lord, we can't save ourselves. We need You to save us. We receive so much more. we receive so much more than just forgiveness and freedom from punishment. You gave us a new life. You made us a new creation. And you have exceedingly blessed us. And we ask that you would help us to be a blessing to others. Lord, as we take the bread and the cup, help us to remember to give thanks for all that you have blessed us with. Most of all, yourself, dear Jesus. And help us to be committed to telling other beggars where to find bread. We ask it, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.